With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Welcome to Duncan Dynasty alongside Anthony Brown. I am Garrett Bouguet. On this week's episode, we are going to be finishing up our discussion on NBA rule changes and officiating. Enjoy. Now let's uh, let's get into a little bit more of just the, the general basketball rules. Uh, okay. that we agree or disagree with. One of the things that, uh, that, that I think needs to be changed as soon as possible is uh, in terms of fouling out, hmm. I think one of the biggest issues is when a game goes to overtime, the foul, the, the foul out number remains at six, hmm. even though you're playing more minutes. Right. And you know, in a 48-minute game, you're allowed six fouls. Right. So that's a foul every eight minutes, essentially, you're allowed to make. <laughs> right. Uh, so to me, uh, when you're adding a five-minute overtime, every two overtimes is an extra ten minutes, which should be at least an additional foul that you should be able to have right. prior to fouling out. So my, my theory would be uh, as soon as overtime, the first overtime begins... Anyone that hasn't fouled out to that point, mm. then their foul out limit is seven as opposed to six. Okay. And then after overtime number two, at the start of overtime three, it would go to eight instead of seven. But if you foul out at any point, you're done. You don't gotcha. get back in if it goes back That's what up. I was going to ask. Like, yeah. I get my six foul at the end of regulation, but then I get to sub back in. No. At the... no. Okay. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah. So that that's the thing that always frustrated me. It's like double overtime. The star of the team is getting is fouling out because he's played fifty five minutes. Right. It's like you know just just give them a little bit more to work with. Uh, you know they're they're playing a, a normal game in terms of fouling. You know a usual right. amount. It's just that the the minute threshold has increased so much that uh, it's it's too much to overcome. Yeah. Um. Do you think there would be any abuses to that? Like I'm thinking of like a uh, for like a hack a shack type thing. Like if teams would try guys that were on the bench that didn't play at all now like have at the start of third, to... the third overtime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just have their designated foul guy to just slap the, the crap out of uh, the other team. But I, I I would say that wouldn't really be a concern because I don't think that happens much now, even right. with the six fouls. Right. You don't see too many coaches throwing on nobodies just to commit <laughs> personal fouls. But, um, but yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up like different 
different ways that it could possibly be a negative because right. it's important when you're you're making changes to to view it from all perspectives. Right. Overall, though, I I like the idea more that like if LeBron's got five fouls, you know, going into the those overtimes, like second, third, I don't think that's fair if he picks up a cheap you know, reach in foul or something that he's done for the game. Right. You know, because that makes a huge impact on which team's going to win. So I, I would go with your rule, to be honest, even if there's a little, you know, there's going to be upsides and downsides to any rule. Yeah. But I, I like your rule. It's there. a matter of the, the upsides outweighing the downsides exactly. in, in that situation. Right. Another thing that I think is it would be a way to kind of cut at, cut down on the, the length of the games is, why on like technical fouls and flagrant fouls are we having people actually shoot the free throws? Hmm. You know, like uh, in the NFL, if a flag is thrown, they give a 15-yard penalty. The the other team doesn't have to complete a 30-yard pass to enforce the penalty. You know, it's right. like in this situation, oh, they did something bad. We we're going to penalize them, but only if you make this free throw. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that to me, is so confusing. And, and I don't like how the, free, the technical and flagrant foul free throws pad stats as well. To me, why not just, if a team, you know, yells and gets a technical foul, just give the other team a point. And hmm. it can just be a team point as opposed to get the point given to an individual. Or you could do like soccer does with own goals and okay. give the point... To the guy that committed the technical and put that on this on this this oh, stat sheet. I didn't know that they did that in soccer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I like. I I get where your head's at. My my thought is that what happens if, like, someone commits a technical foul like at the end of the game? You like then, to see that pressure free throw, or the at least that team having to do something to make the shot for them to win it. You know, that idea that, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a more current example instead of just always going to the Bulls, but Draymond Green gets mad or something and, you know, goes after a guy, and now the Cavs win the, the finals because this guy did a bad thing instead of them actually having to make the shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have a comparison, though, of, uh, like you said, with football. They can do a 15-yard penalty that puts them in a position where they're more likely to score but then the team still has to make the the field goal or something i see you're not yeah even in even in the event of football you're not giving the team points necessarily right. you're you're helping them potentially get points right but in basketball it doesn't help a whole lot to just give them the ball back because that's like they already had the ball so that's not really an advantage there. But I guess that's where like the technical only being a single point right. in the sport of basketball it's isn't not that a big huge deal. Right. A huge thing in the scheme of things. Right. Um yeah, I feel like as long as it's not at the very end of the game, and maybe that's just something that would happen. That like, well, you shouldn't have committed a technical foul then <laughs> at the very end of the game. Well, and you know, the other thing with flagrant fouls, mm-hmm. technical fouls is one thing because the team that's shooting the technical free throw can pick whoever they want. Right. But like a flagrant foul, it's the person who was fouled that okay. is shooting the flagrant free throws. Yeah. So in the event that, you know, a team commits two separate flagrant fouls, right? Yeah. One is on a good free throw shooter, and one uh, is against a bad free throw shooter. The team's going to be punished because they did a flagrant foul against a good one as opposed to the Richard bad one, Adam. even though... 
They're both flagrant fouls. They're both something you shouldn't do. So maybe it's all right to just have, like, across the board, like, if you do that, the other team gets a point. Right. uh, Would that team then get the ball then as well? Well, flagrant fouls, yes, is two free throws in the ball. Yeah. So, yes, it would be a situation where you get two points in the ball or something Mm. like that. Yeah. uh, Well, and and you could change those sorts of things to, to... um, compensate for the fact that you're just giving them straight points as opposed to, yeah, maybe one point, giving them guaranteed one point and the ball would be better than the two in the ball. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there, uh, there's there's different things you could go about doing at, like after you enforce that sort of, and does, sort of rule change. And does it happen where, does the NBA ever, like, upgrade or downgrade a flagrant foul, like... After the fact? Yes, they do. So what would happen there? Would we have to, like, you know... Could that, it happen guess, where a team ties then because they upgraded it to a two? Or... Well, no. I Like, even when they when they recognize a call is, is wrong... That doesn't after change After the, the fact, they never, they never go back and say, well, this team won. That, that, <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Right. Um, they say, like, sorry, but, <laughs> yeah. but you still lost. We um, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, but that would, to me, that would be just the same as any other blown call. Like, right. you know, it would, you know, sometimes they they call a foul when it isn't, and the team gets a couple of points because of it. Right, so, which is part of the game, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm warming up to the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still, like, my mind always goes to worst case scenario, which probably says a lot about me as a person. <laughs> but yeah, like, that idea of, like, losing it on them giving the point to the other team, but, well, you shouldn't have maybe punched the guy there. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, I don't think that would... That might actually be a good uh, foul then. And then I like... I didn't know that about soccer, that they would attribute that point to the other team. Right. Yeah, they just call it an own goal <laughs> right. sort of thing, and then they label whoever did it. <laughs> and then that'd be great to see like who has compiled the most stats for own goals in basketball. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like You scored more points for the other team than you did on yours. Yeah. Hopefully that wouldn't happen. They wouldn't keep a guy who scores double-digit points for the other team. Right, but um, yeah, to me it would be, you know, how Blitz, does, NFL Blitz, the video game, does its extra points where okay. you score a touchdown, you can either go for two or you could just hit the extra point and you get it automatically and then the kickoff right. happens. That's right. essentially what I'm refer- saying that these technicals would be like, oh, it's a technical, there's a point on the board, and you wouldn't have the stoppage of the guy walking right. down to the other end of the floor and having to take the free throw and right and all that. and hmm. uh, Yeah. I I kind of like it. I I also like this this idea of just making the NBA more like NFL blitz and just <laughs> <laughs> like players can tackle each other after a play is called dead, they can jump on each other again. We're, we're changing the rules of technical fouls, but now like the line of getting a technical foul is like murder. Exactly. <laughs> if they make a bunch of shots in the in a row, the ball goes like turns on fire and <laughs> yeah. NBA Jam slash Blitz. I like this. <laughs> All right. uh, speaking of, of um, soccer, though, and how they attribute own goals and things, I think another thing the NBA could adopt from soccer, again, because soccer is my second favorite sport, sure, I yeah. often like to... And it, it's fun, I think, to, to compare how the different sports are officiated and that sort of thing. But in soccer, they they do something called uh, you know an advantage okay. where... Say, for instance, 
uh, a guy is dribbling down the field, and a guy goes to commit a foul, and he grabs the guy and tries to pull him back. Yeah. But, uh, you know, doesn't fully stop the guy, and he can keep going, and there's still, like, a fast-break opportunity. Right. The referee will oftentimes just signal that a foul happened, but to continue. And because the foul is a strategic foul to stop the offense. So the defender right. is committing a foul, you know, to benefit his own team, which right. is the opposite of what a foul should be, right? A foul should always be a negative thing for the person committing it. Uh, so huh. the referee allows it to continue, and then if nothing happens and nothing positive happens, he'll bring the ball back to the original point of the actual foul. Wow. And then otherwise, if the advantage leads to something positive, then the game just continues. That's awesome. Um, so I think they should implement that in basketball a little bit because you see oftentimes, again, in a fast break in basketball, you'll see a lot of guys just wrap players up Mm -hmm. because they realize that it's a four-on-three or something that they're going to probably score. Yeah. So they commit a foul that benefits them. Yeah. And to me, in a situation where that happens, say a guy tries to grab him and the guy can continue going, the referee could, you know, you know, signal his arms towards the basket and say, play on. Yeah. And, you know, if some, if he then bobbles it out of bounds or something, he can say, okay, there was a foul here. We'll put a couple seconds back on the clock. Right. Uh, and start from there, but if it if it's a one on or two on one fast break and he gets away and the ref continues and they get a layup, then they get a layup, no foul, no foul. Okay, wow, interesting. Yeah, I need to watch more soccer then. Shoot, <laughs> uh, I like these rules. Yeah, that would be really cool. That'd be really cool uh, to watch. Because uh, another thing that really annoys me, there was a play I saw in a game a, a couple weeks ago where. Uh, you know, a pass was made to a guy in the corner, mm -hmm. and there was a guy screening off uh, his defender trying to get out and contest the shot, right? The guy takes the shot and hits the, the corner three, but the guy trying to get through the screen, like, just grabs the, the screener and throws him, essentially, and commits a foul. Yeah. So the NBA goes and looks at the replay, then, and determines that the guy grabbed the screener and threw him just like a milliseconds before the guy went into his shot. So then the mm. shot was called off. It was just called a foul. Team takes it out of bounds. Yeah. It's like, so that guy, and then, of course, the possession happens. They don't score. So yeah. essentially that foul saved his team three points. And that just drives me nuts. It's like, <laughs> we need to get it out of the the league where a foul is actually beneficial to the team committing it. It just doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right. A foul should be a bad thing. And I remember even playing, like, strategically using fouls of once you know the rules of, like, oh, well, yeah, there we go. That's a good foul. Then right. You say that even. Like, yeah, oh, that exactly. A great foul. But it's a foul. It's supposed to not be a good thing. Yes. I agree, man. The, o the only instance where I feel like a foul could be a good foul is, you know, with the hack-a-shack stuff. Right. Where you're fouling someone with a crazy weakness that's can't make free throws. Right. But in that situation, you're fouling a guy to send a guy to stand 15 feet away from the basket uncontested and take two shots. Right. Like, That's... it should be a bad thing, but if the person can't do that as a professional athlete, right. 
they deserve to be punished. Right. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Another uh, another thing that I think could potentially add a little bit to the, the end of games, and one thing we should mention in terms of a rule change they made this year was they they took four timeouts away from each team. Mm. Or I should say two timeouts away from each team. So both teams last year had 18... Uh, I'm saying this wrong. Uh, <laughs> there was 18 total timeouts over the course of a game. Yeah, and this year they've lowered that to fourteen, and I think by removing two timeouts from each each team respectively. Yeah, and you know that's added a little bit more flow to the game. I think uh, last year they had under nine minute timeouts, three minutes into the second and fourth, you're already getting a stop. It's like right, that was terrible. So they got rid of that, which has really helped. Now most of the time you're going to see at least like five minutes of of basketball before there's a stoppage. Right. Um, the, the whole three-minute thing kind of felt like the NFL with the kickoffs where you yeah. score a touchdown commercial, kickoff commercial. And then, it kind of felt like that with the NBA as well. Like, first quarter end, commercial. Three minutes later, commercial. Yeah. Uh, so they fixed that. I think the, the less timeouts is better, you know, for the flow of the game. And the idea that they went from each team could have three timeouts in the last two minutes, they, they lowered that to two now. Yeah. So now, instead of basically every possession in the last two minutes, there's a timeout and they talk about it. There's a little bit more of a back and forth, which is which is really fun as well. And right. It it although it's nice to see coaches like draw up plays and that sort of thing. It's also cool to just see the players decide it themselves and figure it out on the fly. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I it stinks to have to stop and watch the commercials all the time instead of just keeping the flow of the game going. Yeah, um, one uh, one thing I think they they've experimented in the D League, which they haven't implemented yet, but I hope they do, mm-hmm. is an advance uh, where each team gets an advance mm-hmm. where they instead of having to call an actual timeout where it goes to commercial, it's literally instead of inbounding on the baseline, you inbound it on the you know at half court. So and and that's one of the things I think separates NBA from college basketball, especially at the end of games, is the fact that there is the ability to get it to half court a lot of times. Whereas college basketball, a lot of games end with guys just chucking it from right. three quarters court and it goes nowhere near the basket. Very <laughs> having a shoot in if if they do catch it, yeah. But uh, but it's very anticlimactic most of the time. Right. Whereas the NBA, the the end of games are very exciting because at half court you can make a pass where guys in position where he can make an actual like shot that involves skill as opposed to just chucking it at the basket. Right. Uh, so an advance would be a nice way of not adding any more stoppages to the game, but allowing teams to have a little bit better shot uh, with you know less than a couple seconds left on the clock. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, let's see another thing that I think they could they could experiment with, and and I'm for this for pretty much all sports is additional officials. Okay, uh, you know right now they have three officials that. Mm-hmm. Basically, usually it, it's one along the baseline and two along each sideline, sort of, is how they set it up. Yeah. But all three of those officials essentially have to have every rule of the sport in their head and call anything that they see. Right. Uh, I think that's a bit too much to ask of one individual person. Okay. And, you know, oftentimes you'll see 
where you know a person's focused on the dribbling to make sure that there's not any like palming or carrying or double dribbles and they'll miss the person's step on the baseline you know right. because their eyes are focused somewhere else you know you're looking at a uh, you're looking up top to see uh, if there's contact on the arms for a foul and you don't notice the guy took an extra step right you know that that happens a lot of the time I would like to see a couple of officials along the baseline potentially just seated even yeah and they could have say even just five things that they're specifically looking for, hmm. which would be out of bounds on the baseline, maybe the three seconds on offense and defensive rules. That would help a lot, um, yeah. You know, just a few things that they would be in charge of to take a little bit off of the plate mm. of the other officials. Yeah. Uh, I think would be a really good thing and a, an easy thing to implement. Right. Yeah, it's not high tech or anything you just have a guy sit there and look at the baseline right i like that uh and another one would be like a replay official someone that's watching the feed of the television Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know so often you'll see like uh as the referees are standing there discussing what the call is you're seeing the replay and you're saying oh it's clearly off of team a right if you've got a guy that's an official there at center court that's watching that, he's already been watching it, yeah. And you've got a you know a com or communication device that he can just say, yeah, it's their ball. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. How easy is that? You know, that's the thing too. Is it's one thing, yeah, if you're talking about real complicated things of adding a fourth official that is running around all over the place would be a complicated addition. Right. But you know, having. Uh, basically four people, two on each baseline to see each side, right. plus uh, one guy in a replay booth, it would be a relatively smooth transition. I agree, and I, it would go a little quicker instead of all the times. I'm like picturing uh, Jeff Van Gundy as a, a commentator <laughs> always being annoyed, like, why are they stopping the game? Why, why do they have to do this all the time? I hate this. And it's just like, while I think Jeff Van Gundy's you know, I don't agree with them on everything. I kind of am like, yeah, it'd be kind of nice to get back to the game. And, you know, why do we have to take three minutes for them to watch this over and over? Just have someone's job. I, I agree. Yeah. It's weird that I agree with Jeff Van Gundy right now. That's super <laughs> weird. <laughs> He's always, it's uh, it's funny listening to him. He's always complaining about something. He is. I do, I do enjoy listening to him, though. Like, it, it does make it fun and... Well, he has some good points at times, and then he has some other ones that are very <laughs> radical ideas <laughs> that are just like, that's ah, a little too crazy for my taste. Right, but, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so yeah, talking about the officials, that yeah, I feel like that would be an easy, an easy thing to uh, to implement. Uh, what are your What are some of your um, What are some of your rule changes that you would potentially like to see? Uh, see implemented in the NBA. Well, so hmm, this one isn't really a. Oh, okay. So I can go with this one. Five second back down. Uh, I don't get why this is a rule. To be honest, uh, I I think I first came across this playing NBA Two K and being like, wait, what? Uh, they rarely ever call it right, but it's a but situ- it is a rule right where if someone's on offense with their back to the basket in the post, backing down against the defender, they've got to make a move or shoot a shot within five seconds. Uh, 
I don't get why you need that as a rule. I remember watching Charles Barkley backing the guy down, and if he couldn't get to the basket, he would just repost and back down again and shoot it. You already have a 24-second clock. Right. So You have a three seconds in the paint. Right. So if you're backing down for three seconds, like, right next to the basket, you'll be called for that. Right. So what's the point? If, if the other team really doesn't want you backing down, they can always send a double team or something. Why are you penalizing a team for having a good post-up player who wants to just keep backing down? Right. Uh, it's kind of the NBA's version of, like, the five seconds closely guarded rule. Right. In high school and college, which was another rule I didn't really like. I, yeah. Uh, um, it's like, <laughs> especially if a team's, you know, doing a full court press and yep. the guy is on you, but you're dribbling and protecting the ball. And it's like, oh, but he's been on me for five seconds. I have to somehow, like, create space, even though, like, right. it's more important than protecting the ball is to create space or right. pass it. Like, yeah. sometimes the pass isn't open. Uh, right. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you that I think the five-second closely guarded and the five-second back down, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and I think it was, you know, you mentioned Charles Barkley. He was kind of the reason they put that rule in. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of rules in the history of the sport have been implemented because of dominant players just being too good. And I think that was one of those where, uh, you know, he was just so effective and so strong, he would just get guys under the hoop and finish over them. They were like, well, we can't allow this it's like why not why it's, not it's fun to watch right uh, and i guess another another reason why you know it especially in today's game it shouldn't be that big of an issue is because it's easier to double team right so if a guy's backing down for 10 seconds and causing an issue you're able to double team and, and run around the floor and try right. to get to all the shooters so yeah i think of i think of shack backing down people like if they're good at at getting to the basket and backing down, as long as it's not a foul, you know, that should be fine, in my mind. Um, yeah, I've just I've never understood that. I, I know other, like, yeah, like you said, in the past, widening the paint because having Wilt catch the ball right in front of the basket or the fact that he could, people could shoot the ball and Wilt could just guide the ball into the basket before they had offensive goaltending. Yeah, that, take that out. Like, I, I'm glad that they put those rules in. But something like this, it just really doesn't make sense to me. Right. Um, one of the things I brought up before we started was the idea of a four-point shot that I hear people bring up all the time, mm -hmm. especially when you're seeing the range of some of these uh, younger players going further and further back. Uh, the idea of maybe having another line out there or having the half-court line being the four-point. Uh, I'm not sure I like it, though. And actually, I'm sure that I don't like it. <laughs> uh, I don't want to encourage people to just th heave the ball from half court. And that's great if you can do it, but um, I think we're that uh, that makes the skill of shooting so much more important than all of the other aspects of mm -hmm. of the game. And it it you know a lot of those half court, three quarter court shots are luck if it goes in. Right. And you would be giving them four points for that. Right. For a shot that is essentially luck. Uh, I agree with you. I'm very against the idea of adding a four-point line. And, you know, for the, the people that say, uh, well, you know, Steph Curry and Damian Lillard aren't benefiting from shooting from 28 feet, I disagree. I think 
it benefits them and their teams that they can shoot well beyond the three-point line for spacing purposes. You know, like a guy like Ryan Anderson on Houston, the fact that he can spot up from 28 feet (laughs) makes his defender have to step a couple of feet even further out to contest his shot, which gives guys like James Harden that much more room to operate. So the guys that are essentially capable of making what would be a four-point shot are still helping their teams uh, from having that unlimited range. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Yeah, so that was just one of those things I had to throw in there. You've you've talked a lot uh, over the years about... James Harden and some of the things that uh, have annoyed you about uh, the way he plays. And, of course, last year there was a lot of that, and he wasn't the only person doing this. I think Isaiah Thomas pulled it off quite a bit. But the, uh, you know, getting a a hand check and then going up into the shot right, uh, and getting three free throws out of that. Uh, they changed that rule this year, so they're not doing that anymore, which is a positive. But, right. uh, you know, he's... He, uh, James Harden, does a lot of things that aren't technically illegal according to the rules, but it's it's one of those where he's kind of bending the rules into his favor. Right. Uh, and one of those things, the more recent thing that I was bringing up was uh, his step back. Uh, we were talking about before that, you know, he'll dribble, you know, dribble the ball out in front of him a little bit without actually putting his hands on the ball uh, and take a few steps. Right, and so now when he's got the ball, he's done the one step and then going into the shot. But you just let him actually take three or four or five steps in the process. His step back, he'll do like a crossover dribble, leave the ball kind of hanging to his side, and take two or three steps to step back all the way from you know close to like the elbow or whatever to behind the three point line. Mm-hmm. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but he takes a really big step back. Yeah. He well, creates a lot of space. Yeah. Right. Uh, and he's great. He's like one of the best players in the league, and, and I do enjoy watching him play. He's, he's extremely good. But traveling is one of those things that really, I feel like I'm getting old. I, <laughs> I remember my dad saying, like, I can't watch the NBA because they travel too much back in the 90s, and it's gotten even worse to now. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on some of that? Yeah, I mean, you'd either have to change, like what they did with the, you know, the hand checking on the preceding a jump shot and calling that a three shot foul, whereas this year they had they they came up with if if the gather hasn't occurred yet and there's a hand check, then it's a out of bounds foul. Right. So they cha- they had to change the rule and the, they had to let the officials know this is how we're gonna go about calling this. Right. Uh so right, like if if you want to change the way a gather is interpreted, uh you know that's something you have to change in the rule book first gotcha. before you can implement it. Because again, like when he, you know, when he'll drive down the lane, even yeah. he'll he'll dribble it and take a couple of steps while the ball is, right. you know, he dribbles it in a way that the ball is in his path. Right. So he's still controlling the, the the where the ball is going, but he's not holding it necessarily, and so he's able to get closer to the rim with a couple of steps. Then he grabs the ball, and then he's still got the couple of steps to operate. Uh, And he's able to use, like, uh, Euro steps and those sorts of things even after that. (laughs) Right, to take Uh, even more. But that assumes that that's like a loose... That's treating it like it's a loose ball. That he's dribbling it, and the ball's loose in front of him, and he's taking extra steps. 
Because if he were to dribble, take a bunch of steps, and dribble again, they'd probably call that a, a travel, right? Well, like, I'm sure you've seen, and most people that have watched a few basketball games have seen a guy where a, a play where a point guard will get it, you know, in the backcourt, and he'll just, like, kind of bounce the ball out sure. in front of him. Right. And then go pick it up. To me, that's the same thing. True. So, uh, if... If what you're saying is you would like to see that Harden call a travel, that's a travel technically right. as well. Very true. And, it, I mean, a lot of this stuff, back in the day, all of these would have been travels. And the, I think a lot of the, the older basketball fans were looking, even at Jordan getting away with some of the times that he would, from a triple threat, exploding out of there. Technically, he's not dribbling the ball before he's moved his pivot foot. Right, so he's mm-hmm. taking a whole step and a half before the ball's going down, and they got kind of laxed on that. Yeah, uh, and then AI comes in, and you're able to kind of cup the ball a little bit on the crossover a little bit more with kind of a more street ball variation, and now you're allowed to do that. Now you're allowed to take so many more steps now that I'm like, I don't, I'm not advocating for going all the way back to 1960s rules where if your hand moves slightly different than horizontal than it's a, a carry but i feel like there's something you could do to keep all of these steps from happening because i watch sometimes shacked in a fool and it's just ridiculous all the yeah like, oh they yeah. count the steps and have like the bell every time <laughs> they take a step and it's like 10 by the time they right. they actually dribble it or whatever it's... um but yeah i mean you're right like i guess in my mind if i'm playing i've done that in a pickup game like bring the ball out and just dribbling it out in front of me for a couple steps, then dribbling again. I don't think that's a travel, but yeah, what would, what do you do to... To me, it's the, technically, it's the same thing Harden's doing, and right. Harden's just doing it in traffic, which, you know, because he's so skilled and, right. you know, talented that he can, he can pull that off in, you know, confined spaces. Right. You know, I personally am, I'm okay with the whole gather thing that, that okay. Harden's able to pull off, because... You know, there's there's a lot of players that you know most players can't do it. I think he's just sure. the best at it. Yeah. Uh, so he, you know, people think, oh, he's getting away with this crazy stuff. I think he's just a guy that, what the rules are, he's going to do whatever he can to be as good as he can under that set of rules, which exactly. is which is really what all athletes do for the most part. For sure. Um, and maybe this is coming from some bitterness on my part of <laughs> not playing in an era where you can get away with some of those things, because mm-hmm. I would have been doing that all the time if I could do step backs like that. But um, I, I think I was bringing up to you the that most recent James Harden step back where, um, I forget who he was going against, but I mean, he breaks the guy's ankles, he falls down, he goes behind the line, takes a few steps, and then stares at the guy until he gets up, and then knocks down the three in his face, which is just awesome. Yeah. Um, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I thought that was a travel, though. <laughs> so, maybe I'm just bitter. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I, I like your point about the, the palming, though, a little bit. I hmm. I think that is a bit a bit of an issue now. Uh, I don't think it's palming if your ball, your hand is directly on the side of the ball. Right. But as soon as, again, hence the rule palming. And, exactly. Uh, as soon as you can see the palm, the palm is up, pointed towards the ceiling. Right. That's when you're able to control the ball in ways that you shouldn't be able to as a right. ball handler. So, that yeah, I think too many guys get away with that. I think uh, another one that I see a lot where guys will catch the ball and 
before making like a dribble yes. straight down, they immediately do a crossover, hmm. which you have to move both of your feet to convince a guy you're going one direction, but you're actually going the other. Right. So that's immediately a travel, and sometimes they'll call it. Sometimes. But it's the consistency of the calls that you're like, that is a travel every single time. Right. And I, I think, yeah, more, more than anything, I'm more upset at that and just, you know, someone establishing a pivot foot and then, like, moving on that pivot foot and then switching their pivot foot to yes. the other pivot foot essentially just walking with the ball and it goes back to yeah it goes back to the officials though sometimes are you know because they have so many rules that they have to enforce potentially they're thinking about something else aren't focused on you know they're focused on the defender reaching in and seeing if there's a foul as opposed to looking at the guy's feet right uh, so you know, I agree though that a lot of a lot of, way too many times like the the fact that the shack in a full a lot of those are uncalled travels right and where they take like 10 steps there was one where uh some i think it might have been kendrick perkins where he was just like constantly sliding his pivot foot like so many times (laughs) and it's like and yet it was not called a travel in the game and yet we're laughing about it at how obvious of a travel it was when we're seeing it on that show right exactly and i just i don't know i think of like high school kids watching that thinking that they could get away with doing those moves and I feel like whatever happens in the NBA slowly trickles down to the the younger levels of ball, and they're just going to learn that, like, oh yeah, I can I can do that too. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of just in general? Do you like how the NBA is officiated more so than college or high school, or do you prefer uh, the the way the the lower levels are officiated? I feel like the lower levels are more strict. Yes, to the rules for sure. Um, because I've noticed watching in the NBA, like, uh, say LeBron has five fouls and it's coming towards the end of the game. LeBron definitely bumped a guy as he's shooting. Um, but there's someone else I've seen where they'll call the foul on some other role player standing near him in order to keep LeBron in the game. And I understand why. And that's been the way for a long time, as long as I've watched the NBA, um, I never remember them. If I called the foul, or if I got a foul on me, they were throwing me. You know, if I fouled out, I fouled out. Yeah. Um, and I would have liked to stay in the in the game if I could. But I don't know. Part of me kind of wants it to be more fair, where if you did the foul, you get punished for doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. So yeah, maybe I would pick college a little bit more. But I don't know. What do you think? I. Um, you know, there are pros and cons to both. I do, um, you know, as you said, it is a stricter way that the game is called in college and high school, which is nice in terms of the rules are enforced more on a consistent basis. But at the same time, you know, from a viewer's perspective, the NBA has a lot better flow to the game because, you know, they're not there's not constantly whistles happening. And also right. I think there's too often where... Uh, in in college or high school, I'll watch you know pretty good defense, and there's a little bit of a bump, and it's like oh because there was that right. like any contact, it's a foul. Whereas I think the NBA does a better job of like you know it's okay if there's a little contact. It's a matter right. of like is he bumping him off his spot, right? You know, and I think that's something the NBA does a better job of in terms of 
you know, rules are there, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm more of a proponent of, and including like with laws in general of, (laughs) you know, interpreting them for what the purpose is Mm. as opposed to, you know, being super strict about enforcing it in all cases. Gotcha. Like, uh, you know, for instance, when a guy, uh, is inbounding the basketball and, Again, the guy picks the ball up and takes a couple of steps prior to dribbling. Like, I don't necessarily like for that to be called a travel when, you know, it's not affecting the play. Right. Doesn't, like, if a guy is getting an advantage from a travel, say if he's driving the baseline, takes sure. an extra step which allows him to make a layup or make a pass, yeah. then that's where I want it to be called. Okay. You know, so... To me, the more you can let the game flow and be uninterrupted, the better. And it's when, yeah, when teams are taking advantage or are violating a rule that benefits them is when the whistle should blow. That's it's really interesting that you you bring up that. I'm thinking of like inbounding it even. Like I've seen where in the NBA a guy takes the ball out of bounds, but he's kind of doing it sloppily. He didn't step out all the way before throwing it in or maybe steps inbounds as he's throwing it in and they don't call it if we're playing pickup there's there's no way in pickup basketball i'm gonna say oh you stepped on the line or oh that's a travel like no we're just gonna let the game flow because it is a better game that way yeah um but that's so that's really interesting i've never thought of that before when there's refs involved i'm always like no that's that's a rule you can't break that um but yeah it does kind of mess with the the flow of the game a little bit um i don't know i'm gonna have to think about that uh but you 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 do feel that you you like the nba's type of of i mean there there are definitely like you know travels and 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 things like that that go uncalled that annoy me certainly yeah that's Um, my biggest beef with their but again i would rather be on the side of a few calls that aren't made as opposed to having mm-hmm. a whistle almost every possession. And having that know? dictate who wins and loses. Right. That's very true. I hate uh, when I see that happen where, you know, officials <laughs> the just refs, take over the game. Exactly. It's more about them than it is the game at that point. Right. Uh, I do I do really like James Harden, though. I don't want to make it sound <laughs> yeah. like I just hate... He's just... You, but like he, is, said, he is a polarizing player in terms of the fact that, yes, he... Uh, he does a lot of things that well, and he he does that play where he holds the ball way out in front of his body right. to get people to slap and and moves right. the ball so that people <laughs> slap his arms. It looks really enticing that he's like giving it to you, right? Um, so he does a lot of those crafty things that bend the rules to the limit, or you know, or or get guys to to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. But but yeah, he's he's very crafty. I think he's just extremely good at, at, at oh, pulling sure. that sort of stuff off. I, I first saw that move with uh, Paul Pierce and Kobe, where they're in a triple threat position. A guy reaches in, and then they hook the guy's arm up as they're going for a shot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Wow, that's a cool move." But they were waiting for the guy to to first reach in. Harden's a guy that will hook the defender's guard. He'll reach out and run into them and then yeah. shoot it. Mm-hmm. And obviously they've changed that rule. But um, no, James Harden's great. And I was a crafty player too. I would have tried to get away with these things too playing. Um, but yeah. 
What do you, uh, how do you view in terms of, you know, you watched a bunch of Michael Jordan, you saw how the game was officiated for a a star player like him in his heyday, compared to how LeBron is treated by the officials, how would you compare that, and how do you feel like, uh, if it's changed at all, and how the star players are treated? It's, it's changed a little bit, just in terms of, again, the, I think overall, traveling and dribble-wise, they call things a little differently. That there were some moves that Jordan would get called on, even though he was pampered a little bit by those, a lot of bit by those refs. Yeah. But um, I, there were definitely times where Jordan's going at it with the refs over like a minor call, you know, that they they would call just a minor reach in that I don't see them calling for a a, a big name player today as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is similar. And they definitely try to protect the the star players and keep them in the game as long as they could. But, yeah. Did you see the same thing with that in terms of... I think both LeBron and Jordan, particularly with traveling, got away with a lot. Sure. LeBron, in in his case, gets away with a lot. Right. Uh, And, you know, they, they certainly... Attack, they attack the basket a lot as well and sometimes won't get the call, you know, so it, right. it goes both ways sure, sure. At, at times. But um, what are what are some, uh, you know, you I, I know you mentioned like the, the traveling and that sort of thing, but what are some other calls that, uh, that you feel the NBA officials do a really good job of or, you know, or some that you feel like they just do a really poor job? Hmm. Might have to think about that for a little bit. Uh, overall, I think they do a pretty good job of, uh, like you said, maintaining the flow of the game. Like if it's at the very end of the game, they're not gonna try and make calls that decide the outcome of it. Um, I'm trying right now. I'm thinking about like charges and blocks and how they. That's are. my number one. Yeah. The um, yeah, I feel like the the issue to me is the discrepancy between. When a guy is defending the ball handler versus help side defense, yeah, I think they need to be called differently, and a lot of times they're called in the same manner. Hmm. Uh, you know, if you're defending the ball, there's no way that you're going to be able to be stationary and right. take a shot to the chest. Right, you're going to be moving along with the offensive player. So to me, when you're guarding the ball. A charge should be you beat him to the spot and right. took a shot to the chest. Right. If that happens, it should be a charge every time. Hmm. Uh, if you don't beat him to the spot, or if you're you're you know he hits you in the shoulder or something, then it's a block. But huh. um, but that's that's where it's different to me. You know, whereas a guy coming in help position, he's got to be stationary. Sure. And too often they allow guys to. Uh, you know, slide into the contact mm. and shuffle their feet right before the guy uh, gets there. Uh, and to me, that's a block where oftentimes that'll be... Because he takes the hit to the chest, it's a charge. Right. But to me, he moved into it at the last second to get that contact. And that's something that I remember with the 90s. Like, I'm thinking of Rodman and Pippen specifically, like... If your feet weren't set as a help defender sliding over, they were not going to give you the charge no matter what, even if you were taking it straight to the chest, I feel like. So uh, maybe that's one that's changed a little bit over the years just with with flopping. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dennis Rodman, in my mind, is like the king of flopping. Like he he made it an art form of... uh, 
There are games that you can watch where he takes over the entire game in terms of just get making everyone mad because he's you know flopping all over the place and the refs fall for it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so maybe flopping is a, a big thing though. Now it seems more prevalent nowadays. Where you know I don't ever remember Jordan. Uh, you know he was a very crafty player. He would try and get away with you know. Uh, one of his things when he's driving to the basket, he would grab a guy's arm and try and pull him back as he's going because he knows where the refs are. But I don't remember him ever flopping, ever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't think LeBron flops really that I've seen. I don't know if you disagree, but I can't. I mean, I haven't watched him lately. I feel like LeBron is one of those people that the TNT crew would bring up for flopping, hmm. but I don't. I can't remember a hundred percent. But I think it depends, you know, on on the situation, though, too, and what you consider a quote-unquote flop. Yeah. Um, uh, like, to me, a flop is when you're exag- exaggerating to the point where, like, you wouldn't even have fallen down, and yet you're falling down. Right. Uh, you know, there are times when guys exaggerate contact, which I'm okay with. Yeah. You know, if... If he's knocking you to the floor, but instead you make it look like he sent you into the first row, right? I'm okay with that because there's still plenty of contact happening. You're just making it look, you know, that much more impactful for the refs to know that it happened, right? And that stuff I'm okay with, and a lot of people would still call that flopping, I imagine. I think to a certain extent, though, you're. I say that's okay to do. Mm-hmm. I did that too. But yeah, if you're going where you didn't even get touched and people are like, you know, probably inspired by uh, by soccer, like, oh no, he hit me in the face, I can't see, I'm blind. Oh, I'm fine, now that you gave me the foul. Like, yeah. that's ridiculous. Right. Um, so I, I do kind of hate that, but that's more just of a, people do that more in the NBA than they do in college and, and high school. Um, well, and that's more, yeah, it seems to be more of a player problem than an official issue. Exactly. Uh, they're... Um, you know, another another thing that people have been noticing, particularly this year, even though I feel like it's been happening forever, is how much the players are complaining about calls. So uh, that it, one. And, you know, especially when it's, like, obvious they committed a foul. You're seeing the slow-motion replay. Oh, he hit him on the arm, and yet he just is wide-eyed, like, throwing his arms in the air, crazy. Like, I didn't commit the foul. It's that... And to me, as an official, that would be, I would go look at that after the game, and next time I see that player, he would have no credibility. Right. That's one where I think Jordan benefited from that time period, where he was allowed to get away with almost anything (laughs) on the basketball court. Uh, He was painted as the saint out there, but this dude was, like we've talked about before, one of the most competitive people ever. And he would just lay into refs on, like, you know, even if he did do the call or not, if he was convinced he didn't do the call, he's going to scream, and as long as he guess he didn't curse, they're not going to give him a technical. But, oh my gosh, like, Pippen has, like, having to pull him away back to the (laughs) huddle because he's, like, in his face screaming. Yeah. Um, And now they're talking about today, like, ooh, LeBron is, you know, talked back to the ref. That's terrible. You shouldn't do that. I'm like... You tell me Larry Bird never did that? Like So you're you're in the camp of yes, the players are complaining, but this isn't much different than what it's how it's always been. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I like I'm kind it. of in that camp as well, yeah. Right. It's just with social media and all that, it's just more talked about. Exactly. And I get though that 
also during that time, 80s and 90s, there were fights. I'm thinking of <laughs> Dr. J fighting Larry Bird. Yeah. Like, there's, so I get why they'd want to kind of clean up that image and not have, you know, people fighting each other and getting too out of hand because that doesn't make for a fun game either. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be some kind of middle ground between, like, letting players express themselves and their frustration if they get a foul called on them, you know, there are times where a player is upset and he like, oh, and turns around and they call a foul be- or a technical foul because he's, you know, th- oh, he's acting out like, well, he's upset. He should be upset because he cares about the game. I think you should be allowed, like the ref should allow them to express themselves. But if they cross a line, you know, definitely call the tech. Right. Um, I don't know if that's like a rule change necessarily, but just... Yeah, too often I feel like uh, a ref blows a call, the player gets angry, guy gets a tech, and that is just exacerbating the issue in terms of you've already blown a call, which probably cost a team points, and then you're giving the other team more points because the guy was mad about it. Right. So you're you're just adding to the issue there. And, you know, it's it's understandable that if a guy believes you blew the call and you actually did, that he's going to be angry. Exactly. It's an emotional game. Right. <laughs> and it should be. You don't yeah. want robots out there playing. Uh, I just remembered uh, makeup calls. That was one of the things I was going to bring up. Okay. Um, I don't know how prevalent this was for you in high school. I don't remember it ever being a thing in high school, but maybe it's because I was on the floor. But I definitely remember watching it and hearing Jeff Van Gundy specifically say, oh, that's a makeup call, you know, meaning that, oh, a ref blows the call on one end, and so on, like, the very next or one of the next possessions on the other end, he'll call a foul on that other team. Do you want to explain it? Like, Yeah, no, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, a makeup call is essentially exactly that. It's, you know, he he feels like he's screwed up, and some referees will straight up tell you, yeah, you know, I messed that one up. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Uh, the the good ones will will admit when they when they're wrong. And and yeah, I don't even know if it's necessarily a conscious thing. Hmm. But it's like you know, the next time there's a fifty fifty, they might just go the other way, which I'm okay with. Like right. especially in the event that it is truly a fifty fifty, you're not quite sure. Just give the team that you feel like you you know kind of hurt on the last call the benefit of the doubt and that kind of evens things out as the game goes on right and i I think they do try to make it where it's not like oh we're gonna foul out the player on the other team they try and make it a more equal if i call to travel on this end i'll call travel on the other end type thing Mm -hmm. Um, but that's just one thing i've noticed with nba specifically that i don't see with the other uh, that i don't think's in the rule book at all but well and going back to like high school officiating when we played one thing i remember happening a lot uh and we're going back to traveling, you know, the, talking about how strict they are with that, I think sometimes it would become so strict that they would call travels when they weren't travels. Right, You yeah. know, and I would, you do a pump fake and dribble on my first step, and right. it's like, oh, they called that a travel. It's like, no, it's not. Yep. <laughs> yep, that would happen to me a lot. Like, one of my favorite things to do was from a triple threat, like jab, step, and then go. Yes. And, you know, I get that that's kind of, right in that line between is that ball getting down before my pivot foot leaves the ground but uh there's sometimes they would call it and i'm like are you kidding me like you see what i'm doing i'm not taking five steps with it i'm just i made a good quick move mm-hmm. don't penalize me for being faster than my defender right um 
So yeah, I, I agree with that. With sometimes it would be too strict. Yeah. Uh, one other that's coming to mind MBA call that I feel like it's missed way too often is when the offensive player creates the contact and gets the whistle. Mm. So, you know, there are a lot of times where, and I notice Kevin Love does this, Dwayne Wade does this a lot, where they'll do a pump fake, and the guy making the contest will jump to the side of them, right? And that's a perfectly acceptable contest. They're not jumping into the guy's body. They're not hitting their arm. They're just getting out of the way, essentially, yet the offensive player will jump sideways into the defender and get the call. Yeah, that should almost be an offensive foul. It, it should be. Um, yeah, What? so could that be incorporated in this Harden rule of hooking people in? What happens with that case? It's, there have been a couple times where he's been called for an offensive foul in that situation. Yeah. Where, yeah, as you're saying, he'll sometimes... What he's essentially trying to do is make it look to the official as if the guy is grabbing his arm. Right. But in essence, he's using, say he's got the ball in his left hand. Yeah. He goes and with his right arm, he'll basically go under the defender's arm and grab it. Put his, essentially his hand up to his shoulder and get his arm stuck right around the elbow area. Right. And then it looks like... When he puts his other hand on the ball, it looks like this guy's got his arm in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's another way to try to trick the officials into calling it. And, uh, yeah, there have been a couple times, and it's it's great. Like, I'll stand up and applaud, like, <laughs> and get really excited when a referee gets it right and he knows what's happening and calls it an offensive foul. That's right. really fun. Um, yeah, but jumping into, yeah. But, the yeah, as you said, like, when that happens, when they do an unnatural shooting motion to draw contact, that should be an offensive foul. In the same way, you know, when Reggie Miller would kick his <laughs> leg out on three-point shots when a guy was going to the side of him, right. it's the same thing to me. It's an offensive foul. Uh, and then there's other examples where I think it should be a no-call, but they call it a defensive foul, where a guy like, say, a Kyrie Irving will be driving to the basket. And the defender is on his side, right, running with him, trying yeah. to contest the shot. And Irving will jump, you know, into the defender's body and kind of bounce off him and yeah. lay it in. And there's contact there, and it'll be called a defensive foul a lot of times. Right, right. When in reality, the defender is has every right to that position he's in, and the offensive player is jumping into him. Yeah. I like that as a no call though because like that's a good strategy to avoid a shot block is to get into the guy's body. Totally. But it definitely should never be a defensive foul. Definitely, definitely. And, and yeah, I don't think that's enough for a charge either. Yeah. Uh unless they're really barreling in. But those calls yeah. happen happen way too often in my mind that that, that it's frustrating. I'd agree. Yeah. Yeah, was there was there any other rule changes or anything officiating wise that you uh, you had on your mind that you wanted to Discuss before we finish up here. Have we talked about illegal defense versus oh. zones now? Uh, I can't remember if we've talked about that in a previous podcast. Um, not. We haven't really gone in depth. Do you want to kind of um, explain that a little bit to the to the audience? Um, I can try. Yeah, like um, before, I want to say mid two thousands, they had a rule called illegal defense, where um, it it basically was a rule about double teaming that uh, you couldn't have a defender kind of be wishy-washy about whether he was going to 
go for a double team or guard his person. You either yeah. have to do one or the other. I know for one, like if the ball's in the post, you had to be, as a perimeter defender, you had to be up above the foul line. Mm-hmm. And if the defender got two feet below the foul line, they'd call it an illegal defense, which would essentially be a technical foul. Yeah, um, I don't think they would were charged with a foul, like in terms of fouling out. Were right? They? No, um, no. But the other team would get foul shots and the ball back. Mm-hmm. Where now uh, you are allowed to do zones. Um, it's just they've got that three seconds uh, defensive. Work. Right. So, so you'll yeah. you'll see like the center, which is closest to the basket in the zone. He'll be, you know, just he'll be staying in the paint for two and a half seconds. Then he'll quickly move out of the paint. For right. a split second, come back in so he doesn't get that three-second call. Mm-hmm. Um, what you'll see guys like LeBron that does so well is that when when the center defender is under the basket and he's in there for about two, mm-hmm. two and a half seconds, LeBron will start his drive before the guy has started to move out of the paint. Oh, wow. So, you know, time that up perfectly <laughs> so that he knows that if this guy can test my shot, he's going to get a three-second call. Right. Otherwise, he's got to get out of the way. That's really uh, smart. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, with illegal defense, that's why you or even you know Shaq or David Robinson just standing in the paint. It was really helpful to have sometimes a slow seven-foot guy, a minute bull, you know, just in the paint mm-hmm. because then you could just contest shots. Now. You have to be able to defend outside of that a little bit more because of that rule, or partly also because people can shoot farther away. But yeah, um, do you have a preference? On I those? mean, I like the way it is now. Yeah. In terms of, I like that the defense has freedom to play the gaps. You know, if mm-hmm. they want, like you know, when we play in high school, and obviously how kids are taught in college as well. You're you're. Uh, if you're play, defending a player that's off the ball, you're essentially taught to play right in the middle between right. where the ball is and where your man is. Right. And yeah, according to those illegal defense rules, that's that wasn't allowed. Right. And, and I think um, you know the defense now is so much more. It can be so much more flexible in terms of if a guy is really dangerous, you can stick on him. If he's a non-shooter, you can play way off. And it makes the game more interesting in, in a lot of different ways. And, right. And also, you know, the I guess the one negative, the way it's currently constructed is post-play is, is a lot more difficult. Right. Because of how easy it is to double-team and everyone can move around the floor and cover the gaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you still see, see post-up play and uh, you get to, I guess... The, the big skill now that's so much more valuable for a post player is his ability to pass it out of the post right. when that double team comes. Uh, that maybe they didn't, you know, as a post player back in the day, like a Charles Barkley could just back down until he was under the basket and finish. Right. Um, you know, not, I mean, Barkley was a good passer, not saying he wasn't, right, but right. he didn't need to use that skill as often as he would if he if he played in today's league. Right. Now it's immediate, they're sending a double team and just rotating. If they're worried about you, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's, it is different. Um, and some players have been able to play in both of those eras. I'm thinking of like a Tim Duncan and maybe Shaq as well, and they were able to operate in both of them, you know, so maybe it's not a huge difference, but I, it was kind of annoying to have to stop again for an illegal defense where, you know, nothing's really happened. They're just, on a technicality, they have to call a player on a thing. That's not the way it should be. Mm-hmm. 
one, you know, the, the whole idea of what college teams can do in, in terms of playing a zone and just keeping the center right under the basket always. Right. Uh, you know, with the with the level of rim protectors that are in the NBA, it would be almost unfair if you could just leave a Rudy Gobert or a Joel Embiid and just say, you can just stay right at the basket. Oh, yeah. They would be able to stop everything. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's important, you know... Unlike college and high school where you can play as, you know, a big guy and put him right under the basket, those generally at that level, that's not going to be too destructive for the opposing team's offense. But with the athletes in the NBA, it's, it's a little too difficult. And, you know, with this, also with the skill level of NBA players, the zone defense is also something that just hasn't really ever popularized in the league right? either. You know, you'll see... I think I've seen, like, you know, Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, he'll occasionally switch it up and play zone, but, yeah. you know, it's really not something, like, Rick Pitino for Louisville's played, like, a matchup zone yeah. uh, defense his whole coaching career, and uh, Jim Beheim of Syracuse plays a 2-3 zone. Yeah. They, they never leave that, and that that just isn't really doable in the NBA, just with all the talent and shooting and, yeah, and, and athleticism. Yeah, you your way out of it, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. What about hand checking? What are what are your thoughts on that? Because you know that's something that changed what in the mid two thousands, yep, uh, and really led to Steve Nash having his couple of MVP seasons kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, and because he was a smaller, not super strong player, but then once you couldn't put your hands on him, you know he was really tough to stop. I think of, I mean, I think of Jordan, obviously, but I mean, Allen Iverson would have been impossible to stop in the beginning of his career, mm-hmm. you know, and in, in his heyday with without any type of hand-checking. Uh, Jordan, for sure. Uh, and I think of how Jordan, Clyde Drexler even, you know, some of these players playing in today's game, if they would have been... Mark Price is a good example of that. Uh-huh. You know, a player who would have been... I mean, great shooter, can split, uh, you know on a pick and roll and everything can split that kind of double team. And how would you guard someone like that? I think that would make a player like Mark Price even better mm-hmm. um, in playing with today's rules. Right. Where there might be some players that, you know, I don't know, like would a DeMar DeRozan be as good with a hand-checking rule? Hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, he's he's good too, but I yeah. think of all the other, like Mitch Richmonds of the world in the 90s that were really good when you could put your hands on them. Right, um, and if for anyone watching it or listening, it doesn't mean that like you could like push them, right? right. But it was kind of like a defensive back that you could use your hands a little bit or a forearm, almost so. for balance right. a lot of times, and also just to kind of um, have more of a feel of where a guy might be going if he's going to change directions. You could have a hand on him to sort of feel for that, right? Where nowadays you really can't put your hands on him that much, where it's a foul. And these guys are so quick, especially nowadays, these point guards, I mean, they've evolved to, around this rule to be able to just blow past guys. Well, that's why you'll see, like, I notice, especially with spin moves nowadays, creates so much more separation than it used to. Because, right. again, when you could hand check, you could feel that a spin was coming and sort of react to that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a, a half a step behind, but still you could be generally in the vicinity. Yeah. But when you can't touch him at all, you'll see spin moves where the guy just is on the baseline and the, the guy is spun <laughs> to the free throw line. Right. And, you know, it, it's 
there's so much more creation that you, or I mean, separation that you can create. And and I think they put that rule in to, you know, to try and give the offenses a little more leg up to try and increase scoring. Right, in because NBA. it was getting way too like the games were play, key playoff games were like eighty two to eighty or something. Some of those finals games like with yeah. in late Bulls run were were like that mm-hmm. eighty points maybe yeah. seventy to eighty or something. I, and I get that, but I also, I like defense. I want to see yeah. people be able to, you know, these guys are so good. You know, I want to see someone like Kawhi Leonard have all the tools in his toolbox to try and combat uh, LeBron James. And if he could shut him down with that, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone could shut down LeBron with whatever rules you're playing. So, uh, I don't know. Um, it'd be kind of cool to see... You know, how would a Joe Dumars do with being able to hand check against a uh, uh, Steph Curry? Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't, I think without uh, hand checking, I don't, I'm not sure Dumars stands much of a chance. Yeah. You know, or anyone stands a chance. He's <laughs> Steph Curry. Right. Um, but I don't, I'm old school with it. That's what I grew up watching. What do you think? Well, and, you know, you mentioned the whole idea that you like defense and yeah de- good defenses can still be fun I, I don't think it's great for the casual audience but right. for someone that understands the sport like seeing great defense is a real joy to watch like i've i've really enjoyed those uh you know the memphis grizzlies teams of the last five six years where you know the grit and grind teams with tony allen and marcus all and mike conley and zach randolph just because of how physical and uh you know how um how tough they made it for the opponents to be feel comfortable on the offensive end. Yeah. Uh, but you know how they, you know, they made those rule changes in, uh, I think it was 2005 or six to help the offense because the scores were too low. I wonder in a few years, if we're going to have the opposite where, you know, the offenses are getting better and better and it might get to the point where the scoring, there's too much scoring, and the NBA might make a rule or two to try to bring it back down. Right. You know, I feel like that that's sort of how the the trend works and how rules work is they, you know, you see something is a problem, like, oh, there's just not enough offense, these games aren't fun enough, let's make a rule to help that. And then it's, oh, you know, it's like it's almost expected that they're going to score, maybe we right. need to make a rule to make it a little bit more even. Yeah. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that happens here in the next couple of years. For sure. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much all we have for, for this episode. Thank you, Anthony, for, for doing that with me. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our show, Duncan Dynasty, on iTunes. Great way to uh, show your support. Uh, and you can also give us a rating on there as well. We'd prefer it to be five stars. But, uh, <laughs> you know, be honest, be truthful. We hope, right. we hope you're enjoying it. and. We'll be back uh, with a new episode next week. Leftovers. Or. The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. 
Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details.